Hi everyone, I'm Tavid Nasir and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that explores some of the challenges and opportunities leaders face in today's increasingly complex, fast-paced, and interconnected global market. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tavid Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that provides both virtual and in-person leadership keynotes, corporate trainings, and consulting services that will help you to improve the way you lead. To learn more about our services and what some of our clients have had to say about our work, visit our company's website at tavinasir.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out my award-winning internationally acclaimed leadership blog as well. And now, let's meet my guest for this episode, Scott Mops. I think it's a, it's a realization I find when I talk to a lot of, of middle managers that they say like, wow, our problems really are unique wow, you're giving us solutions, and I never really thought of the impact that we really have as middle managers. Over the 10 plus years that I've been working in the leadership space, I've managed to read a lot of books on leadership, communication, organizational culture, and how to go about empowering employees. That's why I was excited to learn more about my friend and fellow leadership expert Scott Mounts' latest book, Leading from the Middle, where he puts a laser-like focus on the unique challenges and opportunities faced by those who lead from the so-called messy middle. In addition to writing two books as well as a popular column on Inc.com, Scott is a fellow keynote speaker and a faculty member at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business for Executive Education. And I'm delighted to welcome my friend to talk about his latest book, Leading from the Middle, a playbook for managers to influence up, down, and across the organization. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. My man. How are you doing? Always good to talk to you. Always good to discuss with you. Always good to just engage with you, my friend. Now, now, Scott, before we talk about your new book, I do have to point out something here. You may not be aware of this, but you're making podcast history, or should I say Leadership Biz Cafe podcast history, as you're the first guest to make a repeat appearance on my show. The last time you were on my show was way back, let me check again, in March 2018. So you're breaking new ground here, my friend. I feel incredibly special. So is it also because I'm the only one that pays to be on your show? Is that, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, you did get my check from the first one. That yeah, I did go, get the check and I'm oh. getting the residuals too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. I wonder if those two things are connected, but I'll, you know what? I'll take history. History's on my side. I'll take it every day of the week. Now, Scott, I have to tell you before we dive into your latest book, that not only is this a smart book, it's a smart idea you've tapped into, my friend. I think oh, in the 10 plus years that I've been working in the leisure space, this is the first time I've come across a book that addresses the realities and perspectives of those who lead in the middle, senior managers, directors, VPs, and so forth. And you offer really a practical roadmap that really speaks to their needs and demands. So I got to ask you, before we really dive into the meat of your book here, What was the inspiration, Scott, for this? What made you realize this was an area of leadership you wanted to address and tackle? Yeah, it's the, you know, uh, I was very blessed to have uh, Dan Pink weigh on this book as well. And I think it boils down to a lot of what he said was, you know, honestly, my friend, just the unmet need. Having grown up in corporate, I got a chance to see how the very best middle managers did it, how the very worst ones did it, and how as a collective group, the common language was, It is difficult, man. It is really hard to lead from the middle, to be a middle manager, which, by the way, from a definition standpoint, is anybody who has a boss and is a boss who has to lead from the messy middle up, down, and across the organization. 
and through decades, and, and you can appreciate this too with your own background. It is such a difficult job. And so many leadership books focus on the top tier C-suite or maybe, you know, the frontline workers that have been in the job for about an hour and how to get off to a fast start. And there's just this middle ground that is not always so sexy to publishers, you know, the middle manager, because, you know, we make fun of middle managers and culture. And I just saw this, no one was talking to them. No one was speaking specifically to the fact that, you know, hey, middle managers are the folks that are at the intersection of the horizontal and information, you know, flow in, in the company and the activity flow in the company. And boy, that brings unique challenges and no one's talked about uniquely how to solve those yet. That's why the passion came from that. Mm. And, I, and I completely agree with you. I mean, a lot of times when you think about leadership, it's like you said, it's either those people who are trying to get into the upper echelons and then what are the issues i got to focus from a big picture perspective or those who are maybe, you know, in the trenches who are saying, you know what, I want to get into leadership space. I want to focus on that. But we kind of take for granted the people who are in the middle there. Well, you know, they've already pretty much got it figured out. They don't need any guidance. They don't need any input. But your book really helps illustrate that there's a lot going on here. As you said, and I love this phrase you often bring up in your book of how you have to lead from the bottom, the top, and to the side. And I think that imagery is really powerful to get people to realize how unique the challenges are for those leaders who lead in that messy middle. Yeah. And when you think about it, Tim, it's because you lead up, down, and across, because you're at the you know, the horizontal and vertical intersection of all the information and activity flow in the company, it, it bears to reason that you're going to have the most impact of anybody in the company. And, and our research has shown that. We know that middle managers account for almost 25% of the variation in revenue in, a, in a, the average firm, which is three times more than those of people who work in innovation roles where their only job is to increase revenue. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a realization I find when I talk to a lot of, of middle managers that they say like, wow, our problems really are unique. Wow, you're giving us solutions. And I never really thought of the impact that we really have as middle managers. Absolutely. And in fact, earlier in your book, Scott, you paint a picture of those unique challenges that those who lead from the middle face, and you've distilled them into five distinct categories. But you also write how what's needed here is a shift in our mindset in terms of how we view these challenges, that we see them as opportunities that only those who operate in the middle space get a chance to tap into. So what are these five unique challenges, those who lead in the middle face, and how should we rethink our understanding of them? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on each one in the, in the book, Leading from the Middle. You know, I use a very simple acronym to, you know, people want to mock acronyms and have fun with it. But the truth is they're really powerful, you know, kind of memory creation tools. And I use a, a, an acronym called SCOPE to help people understand why the middle manager job is so difficult. It has to do with the scope of the job. The S stands for self-identity problems. And I'll come back and explain, touch on the key ones here. The, you know, the, the fact that we have so many hats to wear as middle managers that at the end of the day, it gets confusing on what your role really is and what you're supposed to be doing. The C in scope stands for middle managers have incredible conflict constantly. They're absorbing conflict from all around. Their boss is hassling them. Their employees are resisting them. Their peers won't cooperate. They have conflicting agendas, conflicts of interest, interpersonal conflict. Conflict is everywhere. The O in scope, the unique challenge stands for omnipotence. You're expected to know everything. It's like guests on your podcast, right? You expect them to know everything about everything. 
That's what it's like for middle managers. They're expected to know everything. What, your market share went down in Peoria? You better know why. Uh, the P in scope stands for you know physical. Without question, we know that middle managers are the most stressed and suffer from the most, um, I guess, physical outcomes of that stress. It, you know, it's interesting. We, a study showed that the bottom 5% in an organization in terms of happiness, engagement, and health, they weren't the poorest performers in that organization. They were the actually mid-level employees with good performance ratings. It just goes to speak how physically demanding the middle manager job is. And the E in scope has to do, it stands for emotional, because there's unique emotions of being a middle manager. You can feel alienated, even though you're surrounded by everyone. It's a lonely job. It can make it hard to be part of anyone's group. You can feel overworked and at the same time, underappreciated. So I talk in leading, leading from the middle about the, the, the unique challenges. What I thought I would do is I'll just touch briefly on the biggest of those and then what you do about it. And, and what we hear most often, it's interesting, Tamara, because most people will say, dude, I got it. The biggest challenge of the middle manager is their workload, right? If you, if you have to influence up, down, and across, the biggest problem must be you, you have an undoable, untenable workload. Yeah, that's a problem. You know what? But everybody at every level of the company has that problem. Their biggest problem we've seen comes back to self-identity and what uh, psychologists and neuroscientists call micro-switching, which is when you have so many hats to wear, you have to switch between those hats nonstop. Within a, you know, within a span of a few hours, you have to be deferential to your boss. You have to be then switch to assertive mode with your employees. Then you have to switch to collaborative mode with your peers. Sometimes you have to do that all within the same meeting. You have tremendous autonomy at one moment. Then the next moment, you feel like you're a cog of the wheel. You have tons of decision-making space one moment. Then you realize, yeah, but it's not decisions on the big stuff. And the thing is that switching back and forth between these roles, that micro-switching is absolutely exhausting. Before I get to the solution, does that make sense to you? Right? Do you remember all the hats that you had to switch between when you were in the corporate world? Oh, God. I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the meetings where you would have team members, you'd have their project team leads, you have the directors, and then you'd have the president there. And each of them I would have different styles of conversations with. And so when a question would be asked, I was like, what timber do I use? Right? <laughs> so yeah, it does. What I kind of had to learn was, who's the most important voice at that specific meeting who I have to convince of what it is I'm saying, well, here's the thing we should be looking at. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think a lot of people are probably like me going like, oh my God, they're having flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> to past meetings. You know, there's a little, little yeah, piece of sweater on my forehead right now as, right, I'm just was, right. as you're explaining it. Oh I, my God. Yes. That connects. That fits. Yeah. I could write a pit in their stomach. If you, I'll just give you another quick example. Like, so for example, you know, uh, you ever you remember? Think back, uh, Tambor, to a time when you were in a meeting, and you're with your team, and it's fun. You're having a lot of fun. You're in control. You're the highest ranking person in the room. You're having fun. The conversation's flowing. You're making jokes, and then boom! For some reason, your boss comes into the room to join the meeting, and you can just feel like you said the timbre of your voice change, your pulse changes. You have to all of a sudden start positioning and worrying about what the boss is going to think about the meeting, what's being said. Doesn't feel good. That, that micro switching is exhausting. It's exhausting. 
it is exhausting. So, so what do we do about that, Scott? How do we resolve that? Because, like I said, you just gave me a little bit of, uh, like, you know, I'm just getting a little stressed right now because <laughs> I'm remembering those meetings <laughs> and having to make that switch and and knowing coming out of there. Okay, was my messaging on point for the person who most needed to hear it? Yeah. So how do we resolve this? Here's the beauty of it. We did research with over three thousand successful managers over a a huge range of organizations globally and and company sizes across industries. And we found really specific patterns of to help solve this self-identity problem. The most successful and powerful middle managers, they're really good at reframing the way they view the entire job of being a middle manager. I'll give you an example of some of the most powerful reframes that I heard in research that we kept coming back to over and over again. A, uh, a really successful middle manager for a company in upstate Minnesota uh, that I won't name the company used this and I wrote it. I couldn't write it down fast enough. She said, you know, Scott, my, my I'm switching hats all the time. It's exhausting. I could look at the job and net some as exhausting and look down upon it. Or I can remember that when leading from the middle, my job is to think like an engineer, but feel like an artist. Mm. And I thought about that and it stopped me in my tracks. And she said, no matter how many times I have to switch, no matter how many of the problems that, you know, that occur in the scope acronym that I spelled out earlier, I just keep coming back to my job is to think like an engineer with discipline, strategy, and structure, but to feel like an artist with empathy and EQ. Leading from the middle requires that balance. And I, I, I look at it as a privilege. And another brilliant reframe we heard, I, I thought this was fantastic, which is you don't look at all the micro transitions you're making as a, as, as a job that's not, you know, it's segmented into a hundred different jobs. They're integrated. All a hundred jobs you have to do add up to one vital job. You're uniquely suited to do well. Not a lot of people can switch hats back and forth like that and do it well. That's one integrated job you should take absolute pride in. Just one more reframe. I could do this all day long. Another really successful business manager told me that, you know, from the middle said, look, he views his job as being the keeper of the long and the short-term flame. He works on the business and in the business. And only in the middle are you able to do that with excellence in all directions. It's a unique privilege that only those leading from the middle really experience it. The reframes just kept telling me over and over again, Tamara, that you're not stuck in the middle. You have a chance to lead in every direction. And when you embrace that, it changes your relationship with your job. Absolutely. And this last reframe you shared just made me think of something else you discussed in your book, which is something you defined as being an others-oriented leadership mindset, where leaders are expected to focus on four areas. What you give, what you give up, what's a given, and what you get. And that last reframe really made me think about that, of how you have to kind of change the dynamics of what it is you should be focusing on. But I was wondering if you can elaborate more on that, Scott, about what is this others-oriented leadership mindset all about, and how do these four approaches fit into it? Yeah, thank you so much. Others-oriented, I want to distinguish it from servant leadership for for just a second. And, you know, I'm going to speak some heresy here, maybe. Um, I have a few issues with servant leadership. A lot of people say, you know, it's the model to go with, especially in today's world, it's high need and high empathy. And, you know, what I will say is, I almost agree with that. 90% of it, you know, I, I, I agree with that. 
But there's a couple of issues with servant leadership that crop up that, that makes me say, you know, I think others-oriented leadership is a better model. It's from the same leadership tree, a very close branch. But others-oriented leadership, first and foremost, helps you to understand that you serve and you lead. You maintain your authoritative leadership role. You know when it's time to step up and lead from the front versus from behind. You establish your authority and your mastery when it's called for versus fading into the woodwork, which is sometimes you know, what we saw from our research, the number one problem that upper management has with servant leaders is that they can fade into the woodwork. They'll begin to put the organization at the forefront at the expense of everything, and they'll lose themselves in it. And they'll forget that ultimately, while your job is to serve the organization, your job is also, of course, to serve the business and to lead and to be authoritative when you need to. So it's a nuance, but very, very important that I think others oriented is just a degree above servant leadership in that aspect. And, and it keeps you from getting pegged as, as soft. Sometimes, you know, servant leaders will do what the people want, but not what the business needs. And you don't want to be too one dimensional in that and where your energy, you know, where your energy goes, not just to serve employees, but to serve the business. Others oriented leadership, I think, helps you do that. And in the book, Leading from the Middle, I talk about, you know, exactly what you said. It comes down to, being aware of what you give, for example, are you going to give credit and praise? Are you going to give informed encouragement? In other words, encouragement that's based on you understand the situation and what the, act the person actually did that was good, not just blanket enthusiasm, which means nothing. It, others-oriented uh, leadership, really, it matters in what you give up, which is are you giving up your self-interest as first priority? Are you giving up your power and your control selectively? Others-oriented leadership, it matters in terms of what you get. If you do it, I promise you, you're going to get trust and loyalty. We keep seeing it over and over again. You're going to get full engagement. And, and by the way, you know, what's a given with it is that you're going, to get, you're going to show concern for success of all stakeholders, not just your employees, but for the business, for your bosses, for your peers, for everybody. So, so to me, others-oriented unlocks the key, Tanvir, in taking what is, I think, 90% a good model in servant leadership and taking it up to the next level to be more effective, specifically in the middle. Right. And, you know, Scott, what I find so instructive about this others-oriented mindset is how it taps into the idea of playing to your audience. I mean, I'm just thinking back to what we just discussed about the challenge of self-identity and how we have to learn to adjust what you have to say and what you need to do based on who's your audience, right? I mean, who are the people you're trying to communicate with? Who are you trying to influence or who you're trying to help? And once we understand this others-oriented mindset, like you said, we're not just focusing exclusively to the detriment or anything else to the people of the organization, but we're also taking into account the business needs because without the business needs being met, you can't meet the organization's needs. That's, that's, that's exactly right. It allows you to be a little bit more flexible in that sense. I think that's kind of the essence of what you're, you're reiterating. And I, I really agree with that. I, I really, really agree with that. And we, we certainly have seen it. That, you know, if you don't want to call it others oriented, call it whatever, you know, model that you like to call it. We've just found this understanding that inherently being in the middle is about focusing on people other than yourself because you're surrounded by so many other people that need your services and your expertise. Absolutely. So, Scott, we've been looking at how leaders who operate in that messy middle need to shift their mindset. Next, I'd like to talk to you about what shift they need to make with regards to their skill set. But before we do that, I'd like to go to a message from our sponsor. 
If you're looking to build a profitable side hustle that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. They used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek were regular speakers, and a lot more. They have over 500 coaches working in over 127 countries, and their coaches are being hired by companies like Pfizer, Chick-fil-A, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. Giant literally gives you everything you need to start your own leadership coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on free training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. An all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you want to work 100% remotely. And you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business, even if you're just starting out. This workshop is 100% free, and you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv slash Tanvir. If you're ready to impact people and get paid to do it, go to giant.tv slash Tanvir. So Scott, We were talking about what's the particular skill set leaders in the middle need to adapt to be more successful in their roles and reap the benefits that come from their particular place in the organization. And you found that through your interviews with 1,000 leaders who lead from the messy middle that a key function they play in the organization is as amplifiers, which is reflected in seven skills that are critical for these leaders to put into practice. And these seven skills that you've identified are adaptability meshing, political savviness, locking in, influencing, fostering compromise, and you setting the tone, which some of you may have already caught on, makes the acronym Amplify. Again, we're going to the acronym route. Obviously, we can't go into all seven in detail here, (laughs) but to start things off, Scott, could you give us just a brief overview of these seven skills those leading the middle need to make sure they have in their skill set now that we've moved from understanding the mind shift set? Now we got to, what are the skills that we now have to put into practice? Yeah, I'll give the the highest level of overview of the skills because the... um, in the book, Leading from the Middle, I give very specific plays hmm. for each one of these, how to show up. But, you know, it, once again, it came straight from the research that we did. And this is one of those things where when we spelled out the skills, it was pretty funny. It spelled out the acronym Amplify with the exception of the Y. I had to change the words to make it fit Amplify. <laughs> <So> <laughs> sometimes you have to do that as an author. But it really, it, it led up that we heard a lot of middle managers talking about, you know, their core job is amplifying. Sometimes they have to amplify a senior leadership's vision or their mission or their strategy. Sometimes they have to amplify the team's effectiveness and their output and and the entire organization's capabilities and results. Sometimes you have to amplify your individual employees' skill sets. You know, sometimes you have to amplify issues and problems and bring them up to bosses. So we just kept hearing this word amplify over and over and over again. And, and we it became very clear to us, amplifying as a middle manager, that's not order taking, right? Sometimes you have to amplify somebody else's signal. Sometimes you send the signal as the middle manager. Uh, sometimes you're the go-between. So we just kept hearing the same theme over and over again. 
and it, and it kind of flowed out to, you know, adaptability kept coming up almost as the first one mentioned, which makes a lot of sense. When you're in the middle, if nothing else, you have to be adaptable. You have to be able to mesh skills because nobody agrees on anything anymore. <laughs> and we're becoming more divided as nations as the day goes by. It's really important to be able to mesh opposing points of view as you move forward being a little man, you know, a middle manager. You got to have political savviness. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm not saying you know, what, what I'm telling you to do is to be political. I don't think that's a great idea. But I'm telling you to be politically aware and politically astute. Those are two different things. And I get into it in the book in quite a bit. Um, you know, I, 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 you just have to have core influencing skills if you work from the middle. Of course, you have to be able to foster compromise almost by mathematical definition. When you have people all around you, up, down, and across that disagree, you're in the middle of that. And you have to kind of you know, be the person in the middle that's setting compromise. And for sure, you're going to set the tone being in the middle because you have the most influence. In fact, our research showed us middle, middle managers have a much larger impact on employee engagement than anybody in a C-suite. So th th that's like just a quick overview. In the book, I go into specific strategies for how to bring uh, each one of those letters to life. Yeah, you, you certainly did. And, you know, as I was reading about these seven skills that you describe that, you know, these leaders operate from the middle need to focus on and develop, there's one in particular that really got my attention. It's the one you call locking in. Oh, yeah. And the reason for that is how you write that the skill requires what you call four C's of hyper awareness, which are constraints, capacities, capabilities, and culture. Yeah. Now, before the pandemic began, one of the growing concerns for organizations was the rise of employee burnout, something which, let's be honest, hasn't gone away. And if we're not paying attention to what our employees are telling us in terms of the changes they want to see in the way we work as an organization is likely to get worse in the months ahead. Now, as this particular skill involves increasing our awareness of what's really going on around us. I'm wondering how can leaders use the skill to address the problem of employee burnout? As I spoke with just one leader last week who brought up this as being his big concern, not just in terms of employees' well-being, but also in terms of not knowing what to do to both prevent and address it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Scott. Yeah. In, in, in the book, you know, we identify the seven core signs of employee burnout. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna list them here. I bet your listeners could at list at least half of them, you know, their their common sense. The problem is we become better as a leadership universe in spotting them. We become more befuddled on how to solve them, especially as it gets more complex in a hybrid world and all of that. And what we found is it's really powerful. You can sit down and discuss four hypotheses with your employees that you suspect may be burning out, discuss four hypotheses in particular to help you figure out how to solve employee burnout. So for example, let's say, uh, you know, Tanvir, that uh, you're on my team, right? And, uh, you know, I'm your boss and I, I can see you're frazzled and I could see some of the classic signs. You're starting to, your productivity is dropping, your quality is dropping, you're becoming more cynical, you're disengaged. And, and I approach you with a strong suspicion that you're burning out. These are four hypotheses I'm going to sit down and, and discuss with you. Number one, all right, Tanvir, is it too much work here? Is that bottom line? Is that what we're talking about? Is it just too much work? And if that's the case, you discuss priorities and how to take non-essential work off of employees' plates. That's where everybody starts, right? Is it just too much work? Yes or no? 
The second thing you ask is, is it the wrong work? Especially if it's a go-getter like you, Tanberry. You know, you, you could easily fall into, I'm going to take on whatever work is thrown my way to show my capacity. Never really asking, is it the right work or not? That question leads to discussion on not just the work, but even the role. Is the role the right fit for your skills and your talents? Maybe you're getting burned out because you know what? You weren't meant to be a podcaster. <laughs> you were meant to be something else. And we need to talk about that. You know, uh, the third hypothesis that you sit down and ask with, you talk to your employee about is, hey, are you getting the wrong response to your work? And we found this to be kind of a sneaky, hidden one in, in our research that this, this is what, you know, if the employee feels underappreciated for their efforts, they're going to try to make up for it, continually try to make up for it through more and more work because they're not getting the right response to their work. People aren't saying that it's good. People aren't thanking them for it. So what do they do? They work even harder. Or people are objecting and debating their ideas and they're not understanding that, you know, you need debate to, to advance the cause. So what do they do? They take on even more work to try to, to, to create solutions that are never going to be debated at all. And that's not the right. So you really have to ask, you know, are you getting the wrong response to your work and dial up the appreciation for their work and help them to bust barriers that are getting in the way from getting the response that they want? And then the fourth, uh, we found this one to be super powerful as well. The fourth thing you talk with your employees to address burnout is you ask, hey, look, are you just being unrealistic in your expectations of your own work? And this is where you really call out that the truth is, Tanvir, a lot of people are burning out because they're, they're causing it themselves, because they're not being choiceful enough. They have a ridiculous, I can and must do everything, and I must do it to the gold standard level on every single thing I do. Perfectionism kicks in. Uh, you know, you got to help them get past their fear of rejection or criticism or being perfect and help them to understand that sometimes you got to get good good enough. And so we found that those four questions in particular can really help middle managers in, in addressing burnout. Okay, Scott. So I want to switch gears here because I want to talk about a common remark I get at the end of some of my leadership keynotes from these leaders who operate from the middle. And I'm sure this has happened to you as well, where after you've delivered your keynote and you're meeting attendees afterwards, someone will come up to you and say how much they enjoyed your talk and, oh, how they wish their boss could have attended it too. And then <laughs> you, you know where this is going, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it invariably comes up that question. Hey, how do I get my boss to do X, Y, and Z? And yes, Scott, I say Z because I'm Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a real pain point for a lot of leaders. And you have a fantastic chapter in your book where you address this problem of how those who lead in the middle could lead their bosses. So I'm wondering if you can share a gem or two from that chapter of, you know, how do those in the lead in the middle, how can they lead their bosses? Yeah, you know, and I, I share a model. I call it the managing up staircase, where you take one step at a time, six steps. I, I won't go through each step. That, that really you know, kind of spells out a proven research-backed method of how to build a better relationship with your boss and how, I guess at the end of the day, the book is called Leading from the Middle. So how to lead your boss, not just live with them, but lead with them. And so I, it goes into a lot. I'm just going to pick out one or two gems for you what is astounding to me, and it may, this may surprise you, Tamber, that I'm picking this gem because people find this hard to believe. But one of the biggest problems we see is that everyone assumes 
they're a lot clearer on what's expected of them than they really are. We did uh, research and we continue to do this even after the book got published. And we're, we're now, I think we're, we're past 400 now. We, we've done research with 400 pairs of bosses and subordinates where we asked, quite simply, are you clear on what's expected of you? We asked both the boss and both the employee. And then we got their answers before, you know, pre and post. Then, then we found out, okay, so now with your boss not in the room, what do you expect of him or her? And then vice versa. And we found 80% of the time, 81 if you want to be precise, there's material misunderstanding in basic expectations of what an employee wants from the boss or what the boss wants from the employee. So you cannot assume that you are as clear on expectations as you think you are. So I have quite a section in there that, that gets into just understanding the asks, understanding what is asked of you. And one of the tips, one of the super clear ways to do that is to sit down and have a discussion on the difference between good and great. So Tanvir, imagine if you sat down with the, the boss, the, 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 the king god of all podcasts. You know, let's say that uh, you know, CNN bought your podcast and you had to sit down with the boss of CNN. You want to get clear on expectations. So you'd sit down and you'd say, so tell me what running a good podcast looks like. Oh, okay. That's okay. Now tell me what a, running a great podcast looks like. And what happens when you do this simple exercise? And, you know, I want your listeners to, to visually picture a simple table, three columns. On the left-hand side is whatever business metric is important to you, leadership, collaboration, priority setting, whatever. I don't care. And then you have two columns, good and great. And you sit down with your boss and you literally write down the definition of what good for that, that metric looks like and what great looks like. And what we've seen in research happen, I see it happen over and over and over again when we do observed research, where we ask boss and employee to do this and I, and I sit in and watch. What happens is you force out laziness. One of the biggest reasons we're not clear on what we expect from others and vice versa is we just, we have this general, yeah, they get it. They know what I'm looking for. They know what it looks like to be great in this role. And you know what? Actually, we don't. We don't really have a picture most often of what great looks like from our boss. So when you're set down and you're forced to define good versus great, it takes out the laziness. It forces specificity. It forces, for example, if you're having a discussion with your boss, it forces him or her to really delineate what just okay and acceptable is and what's really great. And what happens is I see it happen all the time, Tanvir. I see the light go on. Oh, got it, boss. That's what you think great looks like. Oh, by the way, can I get some help on that? Can you get me training on X, Y, and Z? Before you know it, you have a, per, you know, a personal improvement plan. Or the other, the other side works too. Oh, you think I'm doing great on priority setting. I thought I stunk it up. Oh, wow, I feel a lot better about myself now. So that, that is a gem of a tip to practice using what I call the good to great template to get really clear on the asks of your boss. Does that, does that make sense to you? 
Oh, that makes perfect sense. And I have to tell you, Scott, I just love this idea of the managing up staircase model because it really resonates with something I've told leaders time and again in my corporate training sessions or keynotes. And that is that what you're learning here is the first steps to improving things that you can't look at this as a set it and forget it situation. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? I've said so many times that you have to understand you got to put in the time and work. Right. Because, again, if we think about this as a staircase, you know, we understand now that as you move up that staircase, there are going to be moments where you trip up and you end up taking a bit of a tumble backwards. But then you have this notion that, hey, I'm building up on steps. It makes it easier for you to accept that setback because you know you're making your way up the staircase. So I think it's just a brilliant model, a brilliant way to think about how do you lead your boss. Yeah, wouldn't you agree? Anybody who tries to tell you otherwise is they're trying to sell you something or they're full of baloney, right? If you really think you're going to solve a problem with your boss, by doing just one thing and sticking to it, it is absolutely a journey, a number of steps you have to take. And, you know, I I, I think our research shows, I think we've got the plan in, in, the, in the book here. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that people always forget, too, is you have a certain problem right now. Okay, so then we fix that. Well, guess what? The journey continues. Now you got a new set of variables and issues you now have to contend with, which you didn't see because you had this obstacle before you that was blocking it. Now that it's removed, now you see these other situations. And so that's why I think this is a really great way for people to kind of visualize and understand this process and really recognize, look, we're talking about a relationship here. It's going to evolve over time and you have to be ready to change and adapt and not just say, okay, look, I got this little hack I learned. I'm just going to keep applying it. And that's the only thing I'm going to do. No, this cracks open the door, but now you got to now deal with a new set of variables, new set of challenges. And this is what's going to help you evolve and improve and develop that relationship. Right on. Well said. Makes me want to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. I wrote it. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. So Scott, I know we've only covered a portion of the material you provide in your latest book, but I'm wondering What advice you might have for those leading for the middle, especially in the context of what so many are grappling with right now in terms of the remote work debate, the growing concerns of employee burnout, not to mention those challenges that organizations are facing of finding and retaining employees who are critical to their ability to grow it. Because as you mentioned, it's these leaders in the middle who are really the driving forces for employee engagement. So from the perspective of those who leave from the middle, what advice or points do you think they should keep in mind in this environment? Yeah, especially especially in this environment. You know, just a couple of things what I would say is, you know, I, I go into quite a bit of detail, you know, with, with chapters on how to lead up, how to lead down, how to lead across. Leading down is probably more important than ever because a lot of people, you know, a lot of times now, you know, working in a hybrid work world, we are distance from the employees that report to us. And that creates instant breaches in self-confidence. It creates instant unhelpful assumptions about what my boss thinks of me. It creates instant unhelpful assumptions of, I wonder what my employee is doing all day when I can't see them physically in the office. So leading down is more important than ever. Um, in the book, you know, I, I, I get into how to give great coaching conversations, how to pinpoint opportunity areas people have to work on, how to give transformative feedback. So first and foremost, I would say, really tend back to the basics of what it takes to lead your employees effectively. You'll get help for that specifically in a pretty robust chapter in leading from the middle. You know, relative to hybrid in general, boy, is that a uh, hot topic right now, Tamber. And I get asked all the times, you know, how do I lead in a remote setting? I think the first thing it's important to remember is that if you're going to lead remote, right, 
it's still leading. It, sometimes people freak out and they're like, oh my God, I have to learn a whole new set of leadership traits and skills and abilities. And you know what? At the end of the day, man, you're still a leader. You just happen to be in different locations. So you have to remember that first, you know, ask yourself, WWLD, what would leaders do? And you'll find a lot of the same basic principles of leadership still apply. So I encourage people to remember that. You know, second, and I'll just share three tips on the whole hybrid thing. You know, we've seen in our research that it is so important to treat communication like a strategy and not an activity. Because let's face it, when people aren't in the physical proximity of you, it's really easy to screw up communication, right? We make way too many assumptions. There's a lot of stuff that it falls in between the cracks. Stuff is read between the lines. You have to give your communication the same level as you would give strategy. The very big decisions you want to make to set your vision and run your business. What is your communication strategy? How do you want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to feel seen and heard? How do you want to make sure you avoid not creating second-class citizens? with the people that are remote while you have a group of people that are in the office and can be you know, physically seen and touched. So it's really important to think through how are you going to control communication to maintain the sense of culture that you want in your organization. And then finally, on the hybrid front, I just always you know, try to remind leaders that, especially people leading from the middle, leading from a distance, that doesn't mean that things have to feel distant. You can do all kinds of small things. It could be as simple as using emojis more than you ever used to use an email to connote emotion. When you're on a Zoom call, making sure that the camera is positioned such that it's not just this giant picture of your head, but that people can see your upper body and your hand movements because we communicate so much with our, with our hand movements and hand gestures and body language and, and remembering to Engage in informal chat before you start that hour-long Zoom meeting. There's a lot of things you can do to just remember that it doesn't have to feel distant just because you're leading from a distance. It makes sense. I'm sure you're getting those questions a lot these days, too, just within the context of your business. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm nodding my head to everything you're saying because it's exactly the kinds of things that I've been reminding people. And you know what? It's the same thing I've been saying that, look, your role hasn't changed, just your location. And they take a moment, they realize it's true, isn't it? It's absolutely true. We just have to learn to just adapt to these different communication channels, but you just have to show up more. Because before, when we were in the office, we had all these studies that show that even when we were in the office, leaders were not communicating enough. So if anything, this is just forcing them to do something that they know they should have been doing before the pandemic and to be more intentional in doing it more than they were before to make sure that they really are connecting with people and they're removing those assumptions and, you know, not leaving vacuums where there shouldn't be a vacuum that will lead to misunderstandings so that people really are on the same page. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly, exactly right. Scott, it's always a pleasure and a delight to speak with you. And you know what? Thanks for being my very first return guest on my podcast. I'm going to have to look into getting you some kind of an award or something. Or maybe it's just a pack of gum. I don't know. I'm not sure what the uh, I'm not yeah. sure what the rules are on this. <laughs> Your presence in my life has been my presence. How about that? I'll have that one for you. I'll just go with that. It's uh, really kind of you. And you know what, Scott, my friend, thanks again for the great company and conversation. I always look forward to speaking with you. And you know what? I know some people might not know this, but I am grateful that it's this podcast that gave rise to such a wonderful friendship with you. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much. And if folks want to check out, hear more from me, they can go to scottmouts.com. 
and I put together a free gift for them because I was a returning guest. You know, I had to do something big. So I put it together a free 30 page companion workbook uh, for anybody that it goes along with the book leading in leading from the middle. And if they're interested in receiving that, just go to scottmouts.com forward slash free tools. Thanks so much for having me on, my friend. Always a pleasure. As I've mentioned in past episodes, this year marks the 10th year of my podcast. And without any advanced planning, we've been able to have some truly amazing guests to celebrate this big milestone. As we're edging closer to the end of this year, it's wonderful that I've been able to include my friend Scott in the mix. And as you can see, we definitely know how to have a thoughtful and fun conversation around leadership. And as I mentioned, Scott and I only covered a fraction of the fantastic insights he writes about in his book. So I hope you'll check it out as it really is just a smart and insightful book on how those who lead from the middle can truly succeed and thrive in their role within their organization. So if you want to learn more about Scott's book, as well as to get that link to the free gifts Scott mentioned, check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find a link to on our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. And if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to share it with your colleagues and employees, just share with them the link to our podcast page where they can find links to listen and subscribe to my podcast on all the major platforms where you find podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review my leadership podcast on your preferred podcast platform to help support our podcast and encourage others to check us out. Now, if you've been enjoying the insights I've been sharing here on my podcast and would be interested in having me share them with your team and organization, either through a leadership workshop or in a keynote at an upcoming event, I'd like to invite you to fill out the contact form on our website at tavernasir.com so we can start that discussion. You can also check out the speaking page and workshop pages on our company website to learn more about my speaking services and the kinds of topics I cover. And with that, I'm Tavernasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.